good summer? Okay, well, two of you are having a good summer. I'm really glad the rest of you are like, oh, I'm here. Are you having a good summer? Yeah. Does anybody have a boat in the room today? Oh, yeah. Has anybody here not been in a boat before? All right, well, that's good. You're going to identify with this first story I have for you today. Boats can be a lot of fun, can't they? Right? What can you do in a boat? Give me some ideas. What do you do in a boat? Fish. What else? Water ski. What else can you do in a boat? Just put your feet up and relax and just float, right? Boats can be a lot of fun, can't they? Right? We love boats. We absolutely love boats. Jeremy, of course, as you know, loves boats. He's been an avid sailor for a number of years. All kinds of fun can be had in boats. All kinds of skill when you're talking sailing, though, specifically. You need a whole bunch of skill to be able to sail. It's uh, the last time I was in a sailboat because I am not an avid sailor, and even though I grew up on Georgian Bay in Perry Sound area. The last time I was in a sailboat, I was with my dad, and it's a wonder we got back without tipping the thing over. <laughs> so, you know, give me a motor, I'm better, <laughs> right? Now, boats are a lot of fun, but boats can be potentially dangerous, right? Sure, they can be absolutely dangerous. In the wrong hands, or in untrained hands, a boat could even be potentially lethal, couldn't it? They're fun, we enjoy them, they're part of our lives and our experience here in Northern Ontario, but they can be dangerous. And I found this out kind of the hard way uh, some years ago. Um, about this time of year, every year, we did an annual camping trip, a bunch of buddies and myself. Now, we were mostly a church-going Christian group, and in our church, we had a, like a no-alcohol policy. So um, uh, when we went out camping, a group of guys, sometimes it'd be 20 of us, there would be absolutely no drinking allowed. And I'm thinking back on some of these days, and it's amazing how much unintelligent stuff we would come up with sober. You know, <laughs> like things to do, like... I wonder what that will do if we blow it up in a fire, right? All, the, all, all these kinds of unintelligent ideas, right? It's amazing what people without the influence of something crazy will do because they're nuts themselves. So, so it's a darn good thing, I think, in our case, that nobody added alcohol because somebody probably would have been dead. No question. So there was this one uh, Saturday afternoon. We're out camping at one of our favorite spots on Huckleberry Island in Georgian Bay. It's a, it's a couple of beautiful spots out there, very picturesque. And we're out there, and uh, one of my friends, uh, Bill, Bill wanted to go water skiing. And so Bill said to me, hey, John, would you just come drive the boat so I can just go out on the skis? And I said, sure. My buddy Phil, so Phil and Bill, get this straight, okay? My buddy Phil said to me, oh, John, I'm a better driver than you. Let me just go drive the boat. And I was just kind of like, whatever, you just go, have fun have the time of your lives. It didn't bother me because I, mean, I was just enjoying sitting on the shore and just I was actually casting a fishing rod over one corner, so I was just having the time of my life. So Phil and Bill get out there. Bill's on the water skis, and Phil is driving the boat. So what happens is they're going along pretty okay. Phil's on those water skis, as you know, and then uh, an awful lot of times what we try to do is drop one ski and go slalom, right? You have tried that? So, uh, so Bill... He drops the ski and goes slalom, and as soon as he does that, you can see the balance tipping right, smack, he falls over. Learning to do slalom is just, uh, oh, it's incredibly hard, and it takes a lot of effort and discipline. So Phil starts to turn the boat around to go get Bill, who has obviously fallen over. Now, Phil can't really see the water too well, and Phil cuts the corner a little too sharp. And the next thing you know, we're on shore kind of watching this, and the, bow, or the hull of the boat, the keel of the boat, that's that part of the V on these bow riders, came down and hit Bill flat on the back. Pretty dangerous, huh? 
So we had a few more boats on shore where we were. My buddy and I, my other buddy Jason and I, hit one of those aluminum boats real quick, got it started, got out there. Thank goodness Bill was fine. Thank goodness. A little bruise. And, and the other thing, too, is let's face it, if he wasn't wearing a life jacket, probably could have broken his back. So just the cushion of the life jacket as well really not only saved his life, but it could have saved him from being paralyzed. It's one of those things that the boat was going too fast, and you could just see it coming, and bam, just smoked him right in the back. Thankfully, he was fine, as I mentioned before. But what happened was, was that we found out later, once we got everybody back to the shore, Phil just took off in the bush, crying, upset, just thinking, I just almost killed one of my best friends. It's one of those stunning moments you have, right? The moment of realization. It's kind of like coming out from a car accident. Anybody ever had a little fender bender or a car accident or even something serious? When you step out of the car, you're shaking, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you're quite scared. And uh, you have that feeling of shock. Truthfully, is what you're going through. And then when everything settled down and we got everybody kind of back in one spot, we realized a major problem. Phil had never driven a boat before. We didn't know that. See, that was the thing. We just, we had no idea. Had we have known that, we would have never let him behind the wheel in the first place. I would have gladly driven the boat. You know, that's one of those things. But there was a thing. There was no experience, so therefore there was a problem. You need an awful lot of practice. And the other thing is, as, as many of you know, with, with cars and in boats, it's especially true, if not more true, they're not all created equal. You know, depending on the weight you have in there, the horsepower behind you, and that kind of thing, and depending how old or how new, how bad your steering linkage is, some of these things can be wildly uncontrollable, especially if some of the, some of the older technology. And that was the case with this particular boat. It was not a new one. You had to have some good experience, and you had to have a good five minutes to get used to it. You're like, okay, this is how wide I can steer versus how sharp. All those kinds of things, right? But you know something? The boat was never the problem in the first place. It was the inexperience of the captain of the boat. It was the inexperience of the person using the boat. Today's message is about God's Word. We're wrapping up our Your Best Summer Ever series and talking about some of the core and key elements of our faith. And today we're talking about the importance of God's Word. God's Word is an awful lot like that boat, isn't it? God's Word is a terrific tool, a very powerful tool, and we're going to talk about this and unpack those thoughts in just a few more minutes. But the thing is, it can be very dangerous in the wrong hands, can't it? And that's the thing we're going to discuss, and one of the things I want you to stick with. It's an awful lot like the boat. It's an anchor point to our faith. When a boat anchors, an awful lot of time it will handle even some of the choppiest seas and waves, and the sea of tragedy blows into all our lives at one time or the other. So when we stand firm on the Word of God, as we know the Word of truth, that will help us and, and give us some calm and some peace even in the midst of the storm. But the boat needs piloted. If we're at the helm, there's lots of ways and lots of directions we can go, as you know, in your life and mine. Without any charts or maps, we can easily get lost or confused or wind up in some very dangerous trouble. Or inexperience can give us in some dangerous trouble, as the story mentioned. But without the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the charts and maps that you need. The Holy Spirit is the guide for you. As you're piloting, the Holy Spirit is really giving you the direction you need to go. Now, you may think that I'm trying to set you up for some major fear today, but please, no, I'm not. That is not the intention of our discussion today. It's not my intention to make you feel afraid of God's Word, because God's Word is our truth. It is His love letter, and we all need to be in God's Word. And you may have become from a faith tradition that said, you know, only experienced people need to teach this, and we will teach you what you need to know when we, th when you, when we think you need to know it, and that's it. That's not the truth at all. You need to get to know his word because that helps you get to know him, the father of us all. We all need God's word each and every day. 
However, we need to learn how to study that word properly, and we need to hear from the Holy Spirit to receive and apply the message we're getting correctly, don't we? Right, if we don't have experience or if we don't have any form of guidance, you can actually make the Bible say just about anything you want. And that's a little dangerous, isn't it? Absolutely it is. First point I want you to, uh, to understand today about the word, word's truth. The word is God himself. Let's go to John chapter one. Lots of scripture today because appropriately we're talking about the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, read this, was God. So the word is not just the word, the word was God. Keep going, verse two. He was with God in the beginning, referring to Christ. Christ is also the central part of this. Verse three, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all, well, we'll say humankind, okay? I don't want to say people kind. I know some of you were thinking it. I know. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, we'll just say humankind, because that's very true. The light shines in the darkness, and that darkness has not overcome it. So in a dark world, the word is the light. Not only is the word the light, the word is God himself. It is not just a message or a bunch of stories about God. It is God himself. So that's why the word is very, very important for us. It helps us get to know God because it is a part of God. It's another manifestation of God himself in our lives. Secondly today, the word is the key to understanding who God is. All right? Let's go to Psalm 119, verse 11. There's a powerful word here from David. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart. You know this well. Read this. That I might not sin against you. And another Psalm in 18, uh, verse 30, uh, would say these words. As for God, his way is what? Perfect. perfect. His way is perfect. The Lord's word is what? Flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Sometimes we forget that the word of God is indeed Flawless. However, some of the people reading the word of God are not flawless, are they? No, there's a difference. The word itself is flawless. The people reading it are full of them, <laughs> pardon me, and need that word to get rid of some of those flaws, to point out some of the things that are incorrect about the way we're living, uh, to give us conviction where necessary, and to give us correction and the right direction to go with our lives. The word, of, the word is actually God's love letter to us, isn't it? It's truthfully God's love letter. I want to read you these words from the message version of the Bible. This is Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we'll start in chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, and it says this, How blessed is God, and what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind. Now, that's pretty powerful to think about, isn't it? Long before the earth was created, He had you in mind. Isn't that powerful? That, that's absolutely amazing. He had a plan for your life long before the world had foundation. He had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love. That's humanity. And he made whole and holy by his love. So that's part of it. We're, made, we're to be made whole and holy by his love. And in verse 11, he continues, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. And verse 12 would say this, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. 
There's a massive design. God's love letter to you, the first thing I can think of that is so powerful about God's love is he has a plan for your life. He has ultimate purpose for you, even where you are, no matter what kind of job you have, what kind of career you do, what you're doing with your life. God has a plan for you that is greater than the plan you have for yourself. And God has a potential for you to live up to that you may not see in this very moment. But I can tell you, when people find the truth of God's love, and they find that in their lives, and they begin to apply it, and they find the direction they need to go, they're living so blessed they can't even believe um, that they get to do what they do. I often s- kind of laugh a little bit sometimes. I'm like, sometimes I can't believe I get paid to do what I do. I love it so much. But you realize you're built for something and you have a calling on your life. And that love letter helps us work out that calling through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse or number four here I would like to mention to you today is that the word is necessary for spiritual growth. You can't have spiritual growth without an anchor point in God's word. If you don't know the word, there is no growth. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 would say this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. That's hard for us to imagine sometimes because we're human beings. We have a very finite lifespan on this earth. And so our bodies naturally will waste away over time as they do. Some of them get succumb to disease, some we just the, the, the disease of old age. We're only here for a short time on this earth. But when you're born again, that seed is transformed not into, into something imperishable because he is alive in our lives. And we have an eternity with him and there's an enduring hope in the enduring word of God. And he would continue here, therefore rid yourselves, in chapter two, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's the thing we need to feed off of each and every day. Prayer is important. We talked about that the first week. Jerry Lahey gave us a terrific message on that and talked about the idea of getting to know God's will in our lives. Well, without prayer, we've got nothing. But without the anchor point of the word of God, knowing who he is, having his word hidden in our heart, we will not understand the purposes of God and therefore will not grow. You can't have one without the other. Fifth thing I want to mention to you today, and we talked about it a little bit earlier when we talked about that story of the boat, the fact that the boat is a wonderful thing, but can be a very dangerous weapon in the wrong hands. This is, Hebrew, or this is the point I want to make. The word is a powerful weapon, and it can be harmful in untrained hands. Let's go to Hebrews, and you know this verse very well, 4 verse 12. Would you read this with me? For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Think about that for a second. Think about that. It is a dangerous weapon, isn't it? Sometimes, and I've met people like this, that you can tell they haven't quite got the full understanding of God's love in your life, and it's kind of like somebody passed a four-year-old a sharp knife, right? They figure, oh, I've got the word for this guy today. I, you know, this is what I need to speak into somebody's life. And without the Holy Spirit, it's just that you end up destroying somebody's life or their thoughts or, or you end up hurting someone, even if it's not your intention to do so. 
You see, without that Holy Spirit, this thing is a dangerous weapon. God's word is absolutely dangerous because it says a lot of things that, that can be very critical of the way you and I live, but they're meant to do that so that we can focus on how God does want us to live and to find God's love in our lives to make a powerful difference. But in the wrong hands, in judgmental hands, for instance, all we do is cause a lot of damage. It's like a kid running around with a knife. It's not a smart idea, or a kid running around with a, with a gun, pardon me. It's not good. It can't go off like that. It, and it has to be handled very, very carefully because it is a sharp weapon, as it says. And six, I want to lead you with this. The word requires proper interpretation today. That's a tough one because that's the thing. Sometimes some, the way something is phrased or said, and depending on the version you're looking at, sometimes it can lead you uh, to a one conclusion or another conclusion, and that conclusion may not necessarily be a very uh, proper way of looking at it. I want to read you this verse. This is my life verse. This is a verse that was given to me by my grade nine music teacher. He was the leader of the Salvation Army Band uh, in my hometown and just lived an incredible life in front of his students. When he retired after 30 years of teaching, people were in tears because they saw the difference that he made. He was one of the most kind, not only kind, gentle, firm when necessary, but one of the greatest examples of a human being I saw up to that point in my life. His name is Jim Ferris. He's a dear friend of mine, and he gave me this verse when he signed my yearbook in grade 13, my last year of school, which was, happened to be his last year of teaching, and it was the Second Timothy 2.15. reads like this. Read it with me. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So that tells me by reading that that there are many incorrect ways to handle the word of truth, aren't there? If, there's a, if we have to focus on handling it correctly, that means that there is the potential for us to cause harm. There's the potential for us to cause damage in the life of somebody else if we're not careful. See, without the Holy Spirit's help, we cannot correctly handle the word of truth. I would say that to you today. It takes a lot of training. Whether you're a person who uh, um, uh, you, you have a lot of respect for, say, uh, someone in the military or that kind of thing, or even a police officer. Think of the training a, a modern police officer today has to do to carry a firearm on that belt. The amount of training you have to do, not only how to load the thing, how to hold the thing, but it's target practice, it's training. It's all kinds of different things. It's to know when it is appropriate to use that weapon and never a second sooner. It's the hardest responsibility a police officer has is to judge the situation. And now with the power of social media, seconds after it happens, we're watching the thing almost live and pointing fingers. Ah, oh, he reacted too quickly. You know what? Put yourself in those shoes. Your life's being threatened. What do you do? Put yourself in those shoes. Yeah, you have to do that. It's not just as simple as, well, he's wrong or he or she is wrong and I'm right. It's never that clear cut in a situation like that. There's training, there's training, there's sensitivity. There's all kinds of things that go into this to make sure that you, if you have the right to wear this thing on you, you know how to use it properly and you know how to keep people safe with it and you know the difference between ending someone's life and injuring them in such a way that it stops the problem without ending their life, without any hope of redemption. There's a ton of responsibility that comes with that. And there is that same responsibility, I would argue, with carrying that word of God with you. Because it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it has the ability, as that scripture said earlier in Hebrews, to divide joint and marrow, body and spirit. It has that capability. It can tear you apart if it's handled incorrectly. But see, when we let the Holy Spirit 
open us surgically through the word of God. That's the difference. Stop looking at it as a sword. Look at the Bible as a scalpel. It's the scalpel of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes to peel away those layers that have been crusted, that have been hardened, maybe been infected in our lives, to peel back those layers and get to the root of a problem and allow us to make some life change and allow us to find some healing and allow us to move on and make a greater difference in the kingdom of God. Because technically you can make the Bible say and make it say anything you want through misinterpretation. How many cults have started based on Christianity in the last 200 years? Tons. I don't think God set out the early church in Acts chapter 2, not long after Christ left this earth, that he meant for us to be segmented and segregated into hundreds of denominations. You think so? I don't think that was ever the intention and design. But sometimes, unfortunately, through both bad interpretation or through judgment or through my idea or my philosophy on this theology is correct and you're just out to lunch, that kind of thinking is absolutely dangerous. And that's caused segments in the body of Christ over the years. I heard a line from a comedian, Mark Lowry, and I've kind of adopted it to myself. I'm a recovering fundamentalist. Anybody know what a fundamentalist is? When you're, when you're in that fundamental attitude, you think that you're right and everybody else in the body of Christ is just like either going to hell or just there's gonna be another side of heaven over here for you crazy nut people, right? You think you've got it all figured out and nobody else does. It's baloney. That's absolute baloney. I'm a recovering fundamentalist because I've learned that Jesus loves Methodists, Pentecostals, Catholics, Baptists. You know, Jesus loves people of all different stripes. He loves them the same. Jesus loves us all the same, but it's our responsibility to make sure that we have that same love for other people and learn what it is to disagree agreeably. That's part of the problem too in the body of Christ. It's a problem in our world today, too. We're losing the ability every day to disagree agreeably. Social media is showing us that, especially in the field of politics. Anytime you have an election, just get off Facebook. Would you do that? <laughs> I've had to learn to do that because you start seeing battle lines drawn real quick. Oh, you think this way? Well, you're an ignorant so-and-so, and I don't want anything to do with you. There's no room anymore for this discussion. There's no room for debate. And that's why we ask you, when you study the Bible, not just to study the Bible on your own. That's why we ask you to get into a small group, to study the Bible and find out what some of the different opinions are in the room. And sometimes you'll hear the Holy Spirit through one person, and that will change the perspective you had forever on a passage. It may start you on the positive course of life, changing your own life. When you hear someone else's story, you have to be able to do that. The word of God is not just for you alone. It's for you and him. Yes, together, you and a few, a small group, and you and many. That's why church exists. It's so we get the proper teaching and so we get the proper word of God in our hearts so that when we grow old and in our elder years, we won't depart from it. It'll make a bigger difference. and we going to have a bigger impact in our community because of what the word says and what has been promised to us. So the question I have for you today is, have you ever used God's word to try and prop up a negative behavior? Have you ever done that? Try to, you know, pick and choose a few things? Well, you know, this is, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I'm still going to live over here. You know, look at me, I need to lose some more weight, so I'm living for Jesus, but gluttony's a sin according to the good book, isn't it? I've got to watch my intake. If I have too much intake, it ain't going to be an outtake. You know, it's going to stick on me for too long. That's, but that's, but that, is, that is a part of it. There's a part of that word that tells me that I need to do better with my life. I need to improve and I need to make some changes. All of us need to make some changes. 
Have you ever used God's word to become harsh or legalistic with somebody? You know, Jesus pointed a lot of fingers at uh, a certain group of religious leaders in his day, right? People in the Jewish culture, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And an awful lot of times they would come and challenge him, right? Because here's this guy over here and they weren't sold. They had no concept that Christ was the son of God. They knew he was a good prophet in the sense that he was a good teacher, but they would come and challenge him and try to get legalistic and try to twist the words of Jesus or twist the way something says and say, well, what do you say to this? What's he going to say to that? Let's see if we can trap him in this piece of theology. And every time they would try to trap him, he would come out and make them look horrible. But that's sometimes we can live like that. We get so caught up on a specific thing or a specific bent in our own mind or a specific concept that we miss the point of the thing entirely. We miss the point of God's love. We miss the point of loving other people. We miss the point of agreeing to disagree agreeably. And we get very fundamental and we're stuck on something that really has no bearing on the kingdom of God whatsoever. It just has a bearing on your opinion. But that's not what it's about and that is not necessarily a healthy point of view. Third thing I would ask you today, have you ever caused hurt based on maybe your misinterpretation of scripture? I know I have. I've caused hurt. I've caused damage because I didn't know the spirit of why something was there. It's one thing to read something in black and white, but it is another thing to hear what the Holy Spirit says to you with those words. It's the statement, and then what's God say about this to me, and how can I learn through it, and how can I change my life through it? There's a wonderful parallel, and I want to be careful because I don't want to make too much fun of or make light of our neighbors to the south, but we have a lot of great respect in many ways for the United States of America, don't we? In a way, we do. They are a great country. You know, we may think they've steered a little bit off in left field in the last few years. A lot of us would probably agree with that statement. I'll go no further on it because of that. However, go back to the original Constitution when that, the, those 13 states and those colonies joined up as states to become the first part of the United States, 1776. Over time and over development and over time as needs arose to that small then country, things would happen and lawmakers would look and go, well, we gotta make some adjustments here to this law so that it provides uh, for people and where we are going in the future as a nation. In 1791, the Second Amendment of the Constitution was written, and did anybody know what the Second Amendment is all about? It's called the right to bear arms, right? Now, this one gets a lot of people in a bone of contention and picky, so I'm gonna be very careful with it. However, the right to bear arms in the year 1791, this amendment was put in place when a majority of the continent, or the continental United States, was what? A frontier. There were no established towns, no established cities. They bought some land, and over time, they said, and even after, into the border of Louisiana, then past that in the 1800s, Louisiana purchase that would take them all the way up to the Pacific coast eventually. But they bought some land and said to the people, go, settle that land, start towns, start cities, start things. So when you go out there, and there's absolutely nothing, you're starting, say, a farm, maybe you're one of the few people or families that get together and you build a town that now we know is a burgeoning city, but you're starting out, there's no police, <laughs> there's no law, there's, uh, there's just an open wide frontier. So in 1791, that second amendment was put in place to help people protect themselves in the case of cattle rustling or that kind of thing, or some sort of security in your home because there was no law or no law as far as a sheriff was concerned in those areas to come in and intervene if there was a problem. Now let's look at technology in the year 1791. We'll talk about guns specifically. Do you know what the kind of guns they had in the late 1700s, early 1800s? A rifle was called something that starts with an M. Musket. A musket. A musket is this big long rifle, probably as tall if not taller than I am, big long barrel. 
it takes you on a good day probably two to five minutes to load a single shot in that musket, right? You gotta dump gunpowder in there and then you gotta dump a, and you have to take a tamper device and tamp that gunpowder down tight and then throw the ball in there, which is the projectile, down in there. And then more gunpowder, the tamper again, tamp the thing right. And I saw a comedian say, can you imagine the Civil War? They're doing this real quick. And you take a shot at a guy, boom, I missed. You gotta do this again, right? <laughs> so it, it's a little comical, but, but think about that. In 1791, that's the technology that's there. That is your security system. Over time, the legality and the letter of the law, that is the Second Amendment of the United States of America, has been used to create a culture of fear, a culture of fear of multiculturalism, a culture of racism, a culture of control that I would argue that has taken the United States with the aid of modern technology from a musket to an AK-47. You see, there's a very vast difference. And God's law, especially when you read through segments of the Old Testament, you see this very clearly. There's a mass difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of how the law was intended, isn't there? So we can see this. We can see that there are probably some obvious flaws. We can look at the Second Amendment and go, well, what was the spirit of the law intended? What was the foundation of that law? And why is it there? Protection is a good thing. Security is a good thing. We don't knock anybody for that. That's, that can be a very healthy thing, especially when there's no other outside laws to help. Or there's no other outside intervention like a sheriff or a police force or, or even a militia. Because in 1791, the United States really didn't even have a militia to speak of at that time either, right? Now they're the most powerful nation in the world, militia concerned, right? Most powerful militia it's an established country, over-established very well, police and law and all kinds of even rural spots. But today, that Second Amendment, as far as I'm concerned, has been twisted and bent and, pour out and, and just torn out of shape and bent over. And we've been hanging on to this right over here of, you know, this is my right to have this and my right to have that. You know, I would argue that, you know, is that really a good right? I, that, that's a very good question, you know? I would look at this scripture that when I consider this story, it's in 1 Corinthians, and it would say this, I have the right to do anything you say, but see, not everything is what? Beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is? Constructive. Some things, based on our interpretation or legalistic point of view, are not constructive, but yet are deconstructive, or destructive, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why we have to be so careful when we're reading God's word, not just to look at the letter of the law, to look at the spirit intended behind that law. Because you know what Jesus did when, uh, when the Pharisees came up to him and said, now look it, what's the, what's the important law? Like what's the, what's the first and most important commandment? Because you know, it's through Jewish law. If you read through the Old Testament, all kinds of rules, all kinds of regulations. And Jesus looked at these guys. He broke it down to two things. The entire law all these things, he broke it down to two things. What? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second most important? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we are truly people who love God with everything, if we are truly people that will love our neighbor as ourselves, we would trust more in these words. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you, and I'll uphold you with my mighty right hand. Or even, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay or do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. These are important words. 
But if you have the, the letter in, line, in mind, the most important thing, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself, the law takes care of itself. Because that's what it's about, it's about the letter of love. Open my eyes, Psalm 119 and 18 says, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Wondrous things, the important things, the positive things, not just a legalistic point of view that gets bent out of shape. The wondrous things out of your law, the freedom that Christ has given through that law. And Romans 15 would write this specifically, talking about the Old Testament when Paul writes the Romans, for whatever was written in former days was written for our what? Instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what it is about. Is it about, it's about hope. It's not about getting stuck on something. And Proverbs 3, verse 5, another great word. Trust in the Lord with what? Some of your heart? All your heart. And read this, this underlined section with me. And lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding can be dangerous. Right? Your own understanding without the gift and power of the Holy Spirit can be very dangerous. It can be lethal, in fact. We need to make sure that we do trust him with all of our heart. So one of the things I, I want you to remember today is to read the Bible always through the lens of love. Read it through the lens of love. Put out, put out sometimes we've got to put out some of the arguments of theology that have just come to destroy if we argue things or if we want to look at points of view, make sure we're doing that through the lens of love, through the lens of mutual respect. Because as we know, Jesus summed up the law to love God with everything and your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to give you some Bible study guides, uh, some study tips today. Here's how we should read the word. Okay? And the first point is this. What is the content? Okay? So look at, look at something. When you read something, what's the content? In other words, what does it say to me? What is it saying to me today? What is it saying in plain sight? Number two, we add to what is the content. We also have to ask ourselves, what is the context? What did that word say to the people in that time, in that era, and in that culture? A lot of farming stories in the Bible, right? Because that's what most people were. It was a mostly an agricultural society. So we have to understand a little bit and also about the culture. One of the most fascinating parables Jesus ever told was the Good Samaritan. And the reason it is so fascinating is not just the fact that you have a priest and, and a Levi, the two big leaders in the Jewish church, walk by this guy. I'm not going to help this guy. It's not my problem. You have a Samaritan come by. The injured guy's a Jew. A Samaritan to the Jewish people of the time would be like a black person to a Southern American in the 1950s. Didn't want anything to do with them. That's what's so fascinating about it. It's, I've heard the Good Samaritan my whole life, and then when I found out what it was really about, and found out you know, the racial divide between two people, oh, that changed the whole context of that discussion, doesn't it? It's not just go out and do good, everybody should do good. Even to someone you don't like. That's what it said to me, even to someone I can't stand. Help those people. So context is incredibly important. Number three, is there conviction? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you about an area of, of problem or difficulty in your own life as you read this? Because I'll tell you, that's happened to me and I know it happens. What's the Spirit pointing out in my life, maybe through conviction? Number four, have you done a consult? What do you do if a doctor tells you you have cancer? A lot of times you want to go get a second opinion, right? Scan this, scan that, and get a bunch of people in the room, do a consult. That's it's a, very much a medical term. But look at it this way, consult your small group. 
Get together with your friends. Do a consult on something. You say, look, I'm having a hard time understanding something. Get some opinions in the room, but not only opinions, pray over it. Have you consulted with God? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? But have you talked with others about it? Because that's the thing we have to do that's very important is to work out our faith each day. And five, finally, what is the consequence of this scripture? Specifically what I mean by that is, what is the consequence of me not obeying this? What's the consequence of me just leaving this on its own? Or what consequences could maybe could I cause if I have misinterpreted something? I have to ask ourselves those things. That's how we need to read content, context, through conviction, consult, but also what's the consequence? What difference will this make if I choose to apply it or if I choose not to? Ask yourself that and make sure that you're applying the scripture right. Go back to my life verse in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and read this line with me, and who correctly handles the word of truth. That should be your prayer today. When we talked about this series, your best summer ever, Jerry talked to us about, you know, the fact that we need to pray and make sure we're praying over a passage. That's something you need to do every day. Don't just read this book. Pray over the passage. That's going to help you interpret not only the scripture better, it's going to help you in your relationship with God. You're going to get closer. You know, we talked about the fact that we'll understand who God is more each day when we keep him central in our lives. What's central in your life? Well, God needs to be central in your life. And if you do everything on it through that lens of God's centrality in your heart, make a positive difference in the world or in the business community you may be in. We will also become closer to him as we honor him through worship. Dan gave us a lovely message about worshiping God and how that actually transforms us by giving God praise through worship. It not only gets us together, but it transforms us and makes a powerful difference in our hearts. We'll also encourage and foster deeper faith when we live in community. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own because let me tell you, many of the people that have done faith on their own terms have been responsible for some of the greatest damage to the kingdom of God over the years. We know this. People who have started cults and that kind of thing. And a lot of times they, they're too much on their own. They're too led astray. And then suddenly their own thinking and their own misinterpretation not only causes division, but causes a whole arm of something that's not going to mean anything when it comes to eternity. Because nothing can be added to the word of God and nothing can be taken away. We have to be very, very careful. We are not people that do that. And finally, we're going to become a stronger believer through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the anchor point and the truth of God's word. We need that word. Pray with me this morning. Father, I'm so thankful that we can stand on the truth of your word. I'm thankful that your word will not return to you void. The scripture reminds us that as well. It's imperative for us to understand who you are. And Lord, help us today to even understand more and more your love letter, the angle of love that you have given us through your holy word. Help us to live as people who love you with each and every part of our lives, each and every aspect of our lives, and truly treat other people, even those we disagree with, as much as we love ourselves, and treat them with that same love and that same respect. Help us, Lord, to do your will in our lives as we anchor ourselves in you tighter each day through the knowledge of your word and the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Would you take your communion cup today? If you haven't got one, we have uh, some uh, tables at the back. Uh, You can avail yourselves of one of those at this time. The Word not only was with God, the Word was God. And if you keep reading John chapter 1, it will continue to say this, the Word became flesh 
That's the person of Jesus Christ and dwelt among us. And why did he come to earth? To show us the way to, he- to the Father, to show us the way to eternal life. He gave himself up for us. And that is why we celebrate communion like we do. If you peel back that first wafer, we take you to the story of the Last Supper before Jesus was uh, betrayed. The very night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread in front of those 12 disciples. He had his, his people gathered around the table. And even though they didn't understand exactly what was going on at the time, he said, this bread represents the body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Would you eat this bread together? And it was hard for these guys to understand because they were going to witness a thing in history that would forever change the course of humanity, and that was the death of Jesus Christ. This cup, Jesus said, after supper was ended and after the bread was broken and eaten, is the new covenant or new promise through my blood. As often as you drink this cup, Jesus says, and for us, that's every Sunday at this church, you drink this in remembrance of me, the one who gave it all, the one who is still on the throne today, who has changed the course of humanity. Would you drink this cup together today?